Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Dr. Morgan Cutlip, who is a wife, a mom of two. She has her PhD in psychology, and she's a lifelong lover of all things relationships. She develops online relationship courses and resources at Love Thinks and manages her blog at mylovethinks.com. And you can also find her on Instagram at mylovethinks. Morgan, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to spend this time with you. I am too. And I know we're going to be talking about kind of a hot topic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's a pun in there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, It's Sexual Health Awareness Month. And I really want to talk about sex and ways couples can increase their sexual intimacy. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and dive right in because I know people who are listening to this episode probably want to get right to it. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm going to come out with a big one. Um, I'm going to come up with a big question to start us off with. In your opinion, how often should couples be having sex? <laughs> that is a big one. Right there. <laughs> Uh, so this is funny. So I've done a sex series. I do series on my Instagram, which you know, but um, I've done a sex series maybe three or four times now. And this, whenever I post a question box, this is the one that gets asked asked the most. How often should we be having sex? And the answer is so unsatisfying because there's not really a specific number in there. If you look at uh, research on the average amount of sex couples have, it's something like, I think it's like 1.6 times a week. Okay. Um, Here's the answer though. The answer to how much sex you should be having is really specific to the couple. It's really about what works for a couple. There are couples where 1.6 times, whatever (laughs) 1.6 is, um, is like, that's too much for us. You know, we don't, we're not that, you know, sexual. We're just not, we don't have high desire. um, And we're both good with it. Sometimes I talked with a couple, um, she's, she, she's funny. She actually does content about wife stuff, but, um, they have sex every day and that works for them. I think that the answer really lies in, um, are both of you okay with it? That's really the the measure. Are both of you okay with the amount of sex you're having? Because where problems start to creep in is when one person is wanting more or less sex than you're actually having in the relationship. And that discrepancy is where problems start to develop. Right. Right. And I think you've talked about that. I've seen some content that you've shared about the power dynamic in the relationship. And Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but that the person who doesn't maybe want to have sex 
as much as the person who's more in control. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's whenever I post this, I always get kind of a mixed response to this. But um, the person with the higher desire, the person who's kind of in the mood more often is usually looking for permission uh, from the person who has a lower desire, kind of looking for that green light. And because they're sort of always, I mean, and I'm, I'm drawing like pretty sweeping generalizations here. So there's nuance to all of this stuff, but the person who's more in the mood more often is kind of like, you know, when you're ready, I'm here. Like I'm, I'm there for this. (laughs) And so they're waiting for the other person to kind of come around or they're waiting for that signal that they're, it's okay to approach, um, or for like that kind of extra hint of warmth that suggests they might be in the mood. And so there is a lot of power for the person who has the lower desire because they sort of hold all the cards in terms of the sexual relationship. And it can be a really vulnerable position for the person who has the higher desire, especially if the lower desire person doesn't say yes very often. Right. And it depends on how this is looking in your relationship, but I suggest that if this has become an issue... It can be helpful for the person with a lower desire to actually kind of keep track of their yeses and their noes. Uh, because if sex is not something on their radar, they're just probably not even aware of how much they're saying no. Right. And uh, so it can be helpful to just keep track, pay attention. Your goal is to say, and this is uh, maybe I need to have a disclaimer. This is assuming you're in a relatively healthy relationship, that there's consent, you know, all of these, all of these important things. Um, But your goal is really to, to kind of have a better balance of your yeses and nos. Ideally you want to say yes more than you say no. And that I think is like a lot of people would look at me cross-eyed for saying that. Um, But it's really about understanding that the sexual relationship is an important part of the relationship. It's not something separate. It's not, you know, oh, it's just this primal need that somebody can live without. And I'm meeting all of your needs in these other ways. And so deal with it. That's one thing you're not getting. No, sex sex has a powerful impact on your connection and your closeness and your relationship. And we need to think of it as, as something that's relational and um, put it in the context of the other aspects of our relationship. Yes, I, I completely agree. And also as a mom of, of two little ones and uh, you know, a mom with a lot on her plate with her own work and different things, I know that I'll speak for myself as a parent, I get very tired. I get very stressed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Not to say you always have to have sex at night, but, you know, it's, it's hard. So, you know, what are maybe some tips that you have for other parents out there that, um, that are just exhausted by the end of the day, um, but they also want to make sex a priority in their relationship or make their partner a priority, priority in their relationship. Um, what can you suggest for ways that they can start getting more connected with that and making making that a priority? So I think this is a common thing, especially for, um, couples, um, kind of like making that transition into parenthood and couples with young kids is that it's just kind of that physical intensity when you have young kids that really zap you in in different ways. And so, um, I think that, (laughs) I think it's important to understand how 
desire works. So I'll probably start, I'm going to start there with my answer. Well, first, let me say one thing. Something that's important to to understand about the sexual relationship is is how, and it's when it comes to kids, is how relationship satisfaction changes after kids. And so then I'll make I'll bring this all full circle. Um, after kids enter the picture, a lot of times relationship satisfaction goes down, and um, this is way more nuanced than that simple statement. There's ways that other parts of our life satisfaction and meaning in life goes up, and all of these things. Um, but when you look at if we're looking at heterosexual couples, men and women, the reason why it goes down for, for women is a loss of freedom and an increase in their responsibilities, which we all feel if you're a mom, yep. uh, big time, you feel a big time. And with men though, it's a worry about providing, but then changes in the sexual relationship. And so these might sound like dramatically different things, but I think that it's, it all relates to one another. So let's talk about sexual desire. There's, um, you know, used to talk about sex in terms of drive. Do you have a high drive or a low drive? You know, kind of this like dichotomy. Um, but now we understand it's, it's something called the dual control model of sexual response, which simply is we have breaks, um, things that hit our kind of like t- that turn us off. Right. Right. And then we have accelerators, things that turn us on things that kind of do it for us. And then we have different levels of sensitivity of each and then different combinations. So if I have a low break, not a lot turns me off and I have a high accelerator, everything turns me on. I'm pretty much always good to go. Right. So, so it's important to understand your own accelerators and breaks as well as talk about this with your partner and get to know theirs. Now, enter kids. <laughs> for women, um, um, for women by and large, it's most important to pay attention to things that hit the brakes. The brakes can really interfere with your desire more than your accelerator. Now, what hits our brakes? Stress, to-do lists, uh, overwhelming mental load, Um, worrying about things that we didn't get done, worrying about if we're a good enough mother. Um, All of these things hit the brakes. Right. And even if we're hitting the accelerators like, oh, we uh, had a date or we, you know, for me, it's like, just put on some stinking cologne. Like my husband doesn't even realize how easy this is, right? Put on the cologne. Like what? even if we're hitting the accelerators, if our brakes are just like, on the floor, they're just being smashed down. It's going to be hard to be in the mood. And I think that couples need to understand this um, so that they can do something about it. And what they need to do about it is help one another remove the brakes, right? How can I, as a partner, step in and help my husband kind of take his foot off the brake? What are his breaks? How can I help? How can we step in and take on some of the responsibilities that are overwhelming our partners to lessen their stress? You know, sex and being in the mood, one of the most important body parts is our brains. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, getting into a sexy state of mind is not easy when we're overwhelmed with stress. So I say to the parents who are tired and who are exhausted, talk about how you can help one another lower your levels of stress so you can make space for having some sexy thoughts and even getting in that frame of mind. 
Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's all about our brain and, and our thoughts because I'd like to even add to that, you know, in addition to being overwhelmed and stressed and exhausted, there's an element I know um, that I've talked about with other moms and even for myself that our bodies change after we have baby, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and we may not feel as sexy anymore. We not, you know, may not feel the way we used to before children. And that obviously will change in the relationship too. And if we're not feeling you know, good about our own body and our own selves, then that's going to affect the sex in our relationship with our partners as well. Oh my gosh. I mean, our, our body image is a massive impact on our sexual life. And you can just imagine these things as like taking up space in our minds and crowding out the ability to kind of get in a sexy state of mind. And so, yeah, body image is such a big one. Um, and can be, uh, it's it's a, it's sad because a lot of times partners um, don't even notice or see what um, we're worried about uh, and don't care, and yet it consumes so much of our worry and anxiety and causes a lot of issues, even kind of wanting to get into a sexual relationship with their partners. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so that being said, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of things with the breaks and just you know our thoughts and so many so many ways we you know, somewhat have to overcome, you know, those obstacles in order to be available and willing for sex. Um, so first let's start with, you know, possibly some ways people can connect sexually without actually having intercourse, you know, without actually having sex, you know, what are some, some things you can, you can share that, you know, for maybe a couple that's, it's been a long time without any intimacy, you know, what would be a first step? You know, I know you've talked about non-sexual turn-ons or emotional foreplay, but what would be a good way to kind of initiate that and, and where to start maybe without actually having sex itself at first? Yeah. I mean, there's like multiple points of entry here. There's lots of ways to kind of get started. I would say one of the most important can be just having a conversation. Um, it's, wild when I pull my audience about who's comfortable talking about sex with their partner and, uh, people just aren't like people are not comfortable talking about sex. They'll have sex, but no, they do not want to talk about it. That's too awkward. And so I think that if, if your relationship has been in a rut and this can be a bit tricky, right? If one partner is not okay with the level of intimacy in the relationship, you, you might have some, um, f- difficult feelings to kind of work through. But um, talking about your sexual relationship is a really good starting point. Talk about how you want to be approached for sex. You know, how do, how do I, I don't like it when you kind of, you know, scooch over in bed and act like you want to snuggle, but I really know there's more to it. Like, what right. are the things you want, you know, like that doesn't feel right to me, you know, um, or whatever it might be. Talk about how you want to be approached. Talk about how, um, you can say no to one another without hurting each other's feelings um, or taking it too personally. You know, talk about these breaks and accelerators. Talk about how you want to start to initiate your sexual relationship and your intimate relationship again. So I think some of these things are really important to discuss. And then, you know, the I was saying sex starts outside the bedroom. I think that there, there are a lot of turn-ons that happen like in the kitchen mm-hmm. or happen around the house. Or um, there's been times where my husband's like taken initiative to get something done that's kind of out of his normal wheelhouse. And it's like, that does it for me. You know, so um, take a bit more ownership of caring for your partner in the ways that they need. 
And this builds a lot of intimacy. That's, you know, where we started. And I said, you know, sex is not separate from the relationship. It's a piece of it. And so when you are happy in other areas, when your needs are being met, when um, you feel like your partner cares about what you need and cares about taking care of you and the ways that you desire the most, it's going to all flow into your sexual relationship and the level of intimacy and connectedness. And then, you know, of course, flirting, kissing, romance is is a good thing. Touching through the day, I think, um, especially if people are still working from home. I know my husband still works from home most of the time. Um, There's opportunity there to, you know, walk by them and touch them um, and create these little moments of intimate connection through the day. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I think it is not just a, you know, the act itself, you know, isn't, Mm -hmm. it's not just about that. It's about all, you know, those other things, you know, the, the little touches of the day, the compliments, the helping out with chores around the house, you know, just, you know, being kind, giving a compliment, like all those things add up throughout the day, um, you know, to get you even emotionally ready for the physical act, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I think like I, I said, like the brain is the most important part. I, there was, it was not that long ago where I had settled in, um, for, to like go to sleep. I was like, whatever, this end of the day, I'm tired. Um, I'm going to put on a show and like, this is it. Like I'm comfy. I'm in my most comfortable pajamas. And I thought we were good. Like I didn't think it was going on that night. And, um, my husband kind of like scooches over and I can just tell like by the look on his face, I know. Right. Um, that this, that there's something that he's wanting from me. And, um, I said, I looked at him and I just said, okay, give me a minute. <laughs> he was like, he was like that really like what kind of like this, like disappointment that I wasn't ready to just like, you know, be into it. And, um, he's, we've since talked about it and he gets it, but there's something that, um, is also required sometimes, um, for people to like click into the gear. Right. And I think, and like get into that mindset. I was in the mindset to watch a show. I was in the mindset to be like not touched and be alone and enjoy laying in bed in peace. And I had to click into a different mindset and kind of shift my, my space and kind of, uh, it's almost like this mindfulness where you like tap into your body, like, okay, am I ready for this? Um, am I ready? Like, can I tap into what brings me pleasure? Different things like this. And I think that, um, you know, my example is kind of like in the moment, um, clicking in, which I think a lot of us might need to practice doing more is kind of clicking into that headspace, but also these little things through the day can make that much easier. I have a partner who is warm to me and willing to help and engaged in our relationship. If I didn't have a partner who was like that, um, it would be really hard to click into that mindset. So all of this stuff outside the bedroom is sort of paving the way for a lot more, I think, willingness um, inside the bedroom. And even then, sometimes we need to take kind of some space to get our head um, 
primed for, for yes. sex. Yes. I, I, there's such a big element, the cognitive and emotional elements um, of sex, you know, because I've heard, you know, couples say in the past, you know, well, I don't feel close enough to my spouse or my partner, so I can't have sex. Like I can't just turn it on, you know, if they're yeah. not emotionally ready or mentally ready, then they can't physically be ready, you know? Yeah. Um, so do you have any tips for that of, I mean, I know throughout the day and, you know, all those things add up, but if, if you're in that moment, like, you know, with your, like your situation where you're on the couch and your husband's ready to go and you're like, <laughs> give me a minute, you know, is there things we can do to somewhat, you know, get ourselves ready for that act? Yeah. So it's funny that you bring this up too. I, <laughs> when my husband, tra- he travels a lot for work and whenever he comes back, he's like wanting to reconnect sexually. Um, and that's not like as much what I need. And so whenever we like kind of get in bed at night or whatever, I'll suddenly stir up like a really long conversation. <laughs> He'll be like, Why do you do this? Are you avoiding me? And it's like, no, this is what I need to connect emotionally before I can connect physically. And so we've since talked about it. So the, the moral to my, to my story, which I think applies to a lot of people is one, know yourself well enough um, to know how you need to connect in order to be in a better space to be intimate with your partner and then talk about that with them. If you need conversation, if you need um, somebody to kind of like bring home something special for you or leave you a little note or whatever it is that helps you feel connected, make sure that's something you've shared with your partner. Um, Because sometimes we're not always super clear about expressing what we need. I think another thing is... um, you know, we have to understand our like desires too and how they work. Um, some, a lot of times I think, especially cause, cause when you look at the research, you know, um, women tend to have more of a responsive desire. What does that mean? That means that you don't usually like feel that in the mood until you're already participating and men tend to be more spontaneous just on average. Um, there are obviously like individual differences here, but I think too, just that information can be really empowering that, Hey, sometimes I can't let my mood, um, whether I'm in the mood or not in the mood, drive my decision to participate because I might never be in the mood. You know, I might, or it might be very rare if that is the driver. And so, um, it's, it's important sometimes that if we know that our, that our mood will follow participation, that we actively choose to participate and we know that later pleasure and connection and all of that will follow. Um, it's funny. I, I talk about the sexual standoff, which is, I think, something talking about too now, which is that sometimes um, couples will get kind of locked up where one person will say, you know, we're not having any sex and you're wanting me to do all these things to help you out. And then the other partner will say, well, you're not helping me out in any way. And then you want me to have sex. And they get in this standoff where neither one of them are getting what they need and they're unwilling to give. Right. And again, this goes back to this idea that sex is relational. So let's, let's value it more than just considering it something we do for like a physical release or, or whatever. But in moments like that, somebody's going to have to, to be the bigger person. There's like not an easy answer to those situations, but someone's got to be the bigger person and take that first step. And, um, 
part of it is, is like valuing what it means to give in our relationships. Because usually when we give, we end up actually getting in return. True. And, and I'm not saying only the person, you know, needs to give sex. I'm not, you know, it goes for both partners. Um, when you're giving outside the bedroom, you might find that you're going to end up getting more inside the bedroom. Or when you give more, um, in the bedroom, you might get more outside. So, um, we have to sort of have this spirit of, of valuing, um, giving to our partners. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I was actually going to bring that up myself and ask you about that because, you know, there has been so many, so much literature on that too, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've, I've even talked to friends about that in the past and, you know, talking about some marital woes and, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, they're like, well, why don't you just have sex? Then everything will be okay. And then you'll, you know, get that vacation you've been asking for, and we'll get, you know, the dishes put away or whatever the case is, you know, just have sex. And then, you know, he'll be more willing to do things for you, you know, but then, then I'm like, well, no, like, you know, I want him to do it first. And then it's like, I reward him with sex. You know what I mean? So it's that, that I like you're holding out. <laughs> enough, but I like what you said. I do. That's I do. that power piece though, right? Yes, absolutely. You're like, I hold the, I hold the sex <laughs> and you will do things for me and then you will get it. <laughs> right. But, but I like that. I like how, you know, to, to, to give and receive, you know, and like you said, mm-hmm. if you give more in the bedroom, you might get more outside the bedroom and vice versa. And I think that's such a, a big point because I think, you know, even after a couple of years, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, you know, uh, sex can be kind of like a chore, an obligation. And it's just getting out of that mindset of, you know, like I have to do this, you know, because it's part of my, you know, obligation to my partner. That's That's a hard mindset to get out of sometimes. It really is. And I think this is a really prevalent mindset. And, um, I like to challenge people to think about the stories they tell themselves around their sexual relationship. Like, how do you conceptualize sex in your relationship? And I think that a lot of times, and I'm going to, again, these like sweeping generalizations, but um, a lot of times I think women can have a story that goes something like, um, all right, I'll just check this off my list and be done with it. Or I've, I've actually heard this in discussions I've had with women about sex. If I just, I'm just going to have a couple of drinks, so a couple of glasses of wine and I'm just going to get this over with. Or, oh, my partner, this is one more thing that he, that he demands of me. Um, and this feeling of being used or like I'm giving to them and I'm not getting anything around it. And I think that when we create these sort of narratives about our sexual relationship in this way, where it's something that our partner takes from us, something we do for them, that it really will flow into how we react when our partner approaches us, how we approach our sexual relationship, um, and, and not in good ways. And I think it will flow into even like how we participate in our sexual relationship, like, ugh, okay, fine. Um, we'll just be this passive participant versus this active kind of engager in the sexual relationship. And I think that there's something that, um, is really powerful. If you can kind of shift the mind, your mindset around this and sort of stepping into more ownership of your sexual relationship. This is a shift that I worked very hard at because I kind of found myself feeling this like, oh, I'm doing this for him. Check that box and move on with my day. Um, And instead saying, wait a second, 
I'm a sexual being. We all are sexual beings. You know, we have individual differences, but we all are. Um, and you know, what do I like? What do I want? How do I want to, to take ownership of our sexual relationship and participate a bit differently and stepping into, cause there's a lot of power there and stepping into that power and owning it. And that can really shift the way that you think about sex. I'm deserving of pleasure. I'm deserving of sexual satisfaction um, and having more fun in our sexual relationship. And what does this look like? And how does that change the way that we think about sex and how we act toward our sexual relationship in our in our um, marriage or whatever relationship we're in? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. And it is, you know, once you get there, you, you really do have to intentionally and mindfully, like you said, get into that other mindset, you know, cause mm-hmm. you get kind of stuck there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I really want to ask you about, um, something I, I loved that you did and you created a reel that went viral <laughs> and it currently has over 7 million views. <laughs> I know it's which, really crazy, which is so fun. It was a really great reel. So anyone listening can go to, um, you know, your Instagram and check that out. But the, the subject matter of the reel was about three reasons to schedule sex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So can you give us those reasons or can you just talk a minute just about, you know, why scheduling sex is okay, maybe why it's important and maybe why people should do it more? Yes. That reel is hilarious to me because it was literally kids, give me one minute. (laughs) Let me record this. <laughs> and I ran down. And of course, that's the one that goes. So so the three reasons are that it builds anticipation. Um, you know, sometimes like this, we've been talking a lot about getting your head in the right space. And sometimes we need more time to do that. So if you know that you're like, tonight's the night, we're doing it. Right. Um, you have all day to kind of think about it. Let it pop into your awareness. Imagine what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like. Imagine, you know, or to even kind of send some like messages to one another through the day or flirt. So building anticipation can make the sexual encounter a lot more fun and can be really important for people who um, are even kind of lower desire to kind of work themselves into that state of mind. Um The other reason that it can help break out from a sexless rut, um, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the other one, which is it lessens the pressure of initiation. I think that when you've had a prolonged period in your relationship without having sex, um, it gets really awkward about how to kind of start that up again. And especially if, you know, maybe you, you've recently had children and you're like, we just kind of life got away from us. Um, this is normal, right? Life kind of pulls us apart in our relationships. Um, and we need to get going again. Sometimes it's just helpful to just put it on the calendar and know that it's coming and know that like we're committed to doing it on this day and nobody has to be in that vulnerable spot of, of initiating and potentially being turned down. And it starts to kind of like jumpstart that sexual relationship. You know, how many times should we schedule it this week? And ultimately, you know, it's funny the reactions people had to this reel. Like some people were getting so fired up about, yeah, this is boring and you this lame sex and all these things. I mean, and I, I think it's hilarious because if you schedule it, it doesn't mean that your sex is boring. Like you can have whatever kind of sex you want. You just have it on the calendar. <laughs> like right. It doesn't 
<laughs> mean that it's boring. It's and I, a little. That's all right. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the goal is to balance scheduling with spontaneity, right? That's the, that's the ideal, right? Or even if it's, you know, all spontaneous, but, but some people just don't work that way. And sometimes sex just doesn't happen right? unless it's on, on the calendar. And so this is a really good way um, to get things going, to have some consistency and to build some kind of time to allow people get, to get in the right state of mind. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, everyone out here who's listening needs to schedule some sex this week. <laughs> it's funny. Every time I, I say the word, let's talk about sex. I think of that salt and pepper song, like, you know, I know. it's just, it's just out there. But like you said, it's hard to talk about. So my last question for you, um, is, you know, just, I know there's some more information that you have and you can share, you know, your Instagram again and your website. Um, but any last minute tips on maybe some conversation starters, how does someone start a conversation about sex? So hopefully they can have more of it. Yeah. So I have uh, several posts about conversations to have about sex. And then I even created a guide of seven conversations to have in your sec- about your sexual relationship. So here are just a couple. Um, one is what's a sexual fantasy that you've had about us, but never shared with me. That can be a fun one. And that maybe is a bit more advanced of a question. Um, another is what would you like to incorporate in our sex life that we haven't? Um, one that can get to just start stirring up some good conversation is what does our sex life mean to you when we're not having sex? How does our relationship feel different or how does it feel to you? And I think that, um, that one is a really important one to talk about, especially when one person's not getting as much sex as they want, because I think we like to draw, we kind of commonly draw conclusions about, you know, why they want sex. And again, it goes to that sort of like chore thing. Right. Um, so allowing the partner to talk about, I don't feel as close to you or I don't feel this can be really eye opening. Again, the questions about what shuts down your desire, what, um, what is it that turns you on that maybe I'm unaware of questions like that are really enlightening. I love it. Oh, those are great. And they're very practical. And I feel like they're really, you know, people can just write them down and then ask them, you know, in the midst of conversation. So exactly. Great. Where can they find you for more information and to be in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram. My handle's my love thinks. And I um, guess one thing a little bit different about my account is I do series. And so I'll pick a topic and then do maybe a week or even two weeks on a topic. And so I've done a sex one not that long ago. You can find more there. And then I have a blog, mylovethinks.com and tons of free resources and access to online courses. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. I love um, all of the advice and suggestions that you have. And um, I hope it inspires more couples to be more intimate with each other, um, you know, emotionally, mentally, and sexually. So thank you so much for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.